In the sky between two thieves Hung the blameless Prince of Peace Bruised and battered, scarred and scorned Sacred head pierced by a thorn It is finished, was his cry The perfect Lamb was crucified His sacrifice, our victory our Savior chose a mercy tree. Hope went dark that violent day. The whole earthquake that loves display. Three days silent in the ground This body born for heaven's crown On that bright and glorious day When heaven opened up the grave He's alive and risen indeed Oh, praise Him for the mercy tree Christ has overcome, He has risen from the dead. One day soon we'll see His face, every tear He'll wipe suffering. Praise Him for the mercy tree. Death has died, love has won. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus Christ has overcome. He has risen from the need both. Let's take our, I always want to say hymnals after I sing, but we're going to use our Bibles. John chapter 12. John chapter 12 in our Bibles this morning. I do want to ask you to be in prayer for the Pierce family. Um, Many of you know Dave and Betty Pierce yesterday, just before four o'clock. Dave Pierce went home to be with the Lord, and he was able to be at home when that happened. And uh, just two weeks ago, on a Sunday morning, he was here. He'd come, uh, come, he'd come in with his walker. He wouldn't allow for the wheelchair at all. 
but uh, he just kept coming. Yeah, he had had uh, cancer for a number of years now, and the doctor some years ago said that he wouldn't live long. He lived a lot longer than the doctor thought, and uh, I was able to have many great conversations with him over the past few years as I'd go over and sit with him and his wife. So pray for Betty. After they've been married for all of these years, uh, last night was one of the first nights she's ever had without her husband. And uh, so a lot of heartache there in the family, but also great joy because when he, when his soul and his spirit left his physical body yesterday, uh, Dave Pierce was immediately in the presence of God Almighty, and he's there and will ever be with the Lord. And so that's a wonderful hope. So you can rejoice in that, but do pray for the Pierce family. And many of you have lost loved ones. Um, in your life, uh, they've gone on to be with the Lord. And so you know how to pray for the Pierce family. I'd encourage you to do that. Take time to pray and bear their burdens with them. You're in John chapter 12. There's a lot of turmoil surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ here in the last uh, months of his earthly ministry. Now in chapter 12, we come right into the last six days. Uh, we're within a week of his crucifixion in John chapter 12. Look back, if you would, in chapter 11 for just a few minutes. I, I want to remind you of some of the turmoil that's taking place. Uh, look at verse 54. It says there, or verse 53 says, Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. That was the religious leaders um, under Caiaphas, the, leader, uh, the high priest, the leader of those religious leaders in, Jew, uh, in Jerusalem at that time. They're taking counsel. They're actually sitting down, convening meetings for the uh, sole purpose of finding a way to kill Jesus. Okay, that's their purpose. So you can imagine the hatred that is there. They're open about it. The leader of the religious Jews um, is open about this. We need to kill this man. Okay, I'll look at verse 54. Jesus, therefore... Walked no more openly among the Jews, among the religious leaders, but went thence unto a country near the wilderness, unto a city called Ephraim. We're not exactly sure where that city was. There are other cities named Ephraim. We're not exactly sure where this small city was in the wilderness. And there he continued with his disciples. He would have been teaching, spending time with them. In verse 55, the Bible says, And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. That was common. Verse 56, Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye that he will not come to the feast? Do you think he's going to come? He's going to come. He has to come, doesn't he? He's going to come. But, but there was a question because, well, they wanted to kill him. It was openly known. People wanted him dead. The religious leaders wanted him dead. Why would he show up if that were the case? So there, there's all this talk about this. Is he going to come? Is he not going to come? Verse 57. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he, was, where he were, he should show it that they might take him. And so there's all this turmoil surrounding him. And he is going to come. He is going to come. And uh, he's going to come for one reason alone and that is to become, to become the sins of the whole world, to take the sins of the whole world upon his body, body, to become our sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was going to come. 
And that was the whole reason he came in the first place, right? Born in the manger, and we'll celebrate that here during the month of December. Uh, glory to God in the highest. There's the announcement to the shepherds. Um, peace, goodwill toward men. God sent his son. He came himself, took upon himself the form of a, a human being, a man, uh, to do the will of God the Father, to save men from their sins. Um, let me ask you this, as we've been going through our study in the book of John, how are you responding to the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, if you're a child of God, those of us who are the children of God, we have the Spirit of Christ living within us. So as the Word of God has been taught and preached, as you're going through life and the different challenges of life, the heartaches of life, the temptations that come into our lives as we go through our lives, how are you responding to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just in a broad sense, but how about even this week? How have you been responding to Jesus Christ? Have you been stubbornly refusing him? You know, his spirit convicting you? Um, or you know what is right to do about a matter. You know what the word of God says. You know what God says about a matter. You know what is right, but you're just stubbornly refusing to submit to him. Or are you responding to him in love, in thanksgiving? Um, you know, there are times where people love us. They show us love. Of course, um, the Bible talks about no greater love hath this than a man lay down his life for a friend. Uh, there is no greater love that has ever been declared or made manifest in the world than God's love for you and for me in sending his son to die for us. Certainly no gift outside of eternal life in Christ, no greater gift has ever been given. And we love God because he first loved us, but we see it, I think, on a more personal level when someone that we care about, someone who loves us, shows that love to us. They give a gift. They do something for us that's very thoughtful, maybe very intimate even, because no one else even knows that we had a need or we were hurting in that area. But this particular individual, close enough to us, knows where we're at, and maybe they jot a note of encouragement. Or maybe it's a gift, whatever it is. But we know what that feeling is like when someone loves us on a personal, intimate level. And... Um, all of us in this room have experienced the love of God. All of us in this room have experienced the love of God, no matter where we are this week. And my question is, how are we responding to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because really, we really only have two choices of response. Either I can choose to respond to God's love and the Lord Jesus Christ personified in him. I can choose to respond to God's love in Christ with love, and worship, and thanksgiving, or I can respond to God's love in the Lord Jesus Christ with a heart of rebellion and disappointment because God's plan for me is not lining up exactly with what I have planned for me. And in life, we do have disappointment. So, again, the question is, how are you responding to the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, every chapter of John so far that we've looked at addresses the issue of believing in Christ or choosing not to believe in Christ. Really, John is the gospel of belief, uh, believing. Or we could say it this way, John is the gospel of unbelief. 
Because all through the gospel, according to John, we find people meeting the same Christ, the same Jesus, but responding to him incredibly different. You have the religious Jews who knew the word of God, knew the Old Testament incredibly well, better than anybody in this room, and yet, having known about the Messiah's promise and even coming, and even expecting him to come, when he came, they rejected him outright and hated him. They did not believe. They rejected him. But in contrast, we see people like the blind man, or the paralyzed man, or Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the disciples who are believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ all through the book of John. And as we have worked our way along, we see their belief in him growing, their faith in him increasing. It wasn't always a perfect faith, was it? They're struggling, they're scared, they're doubting, right? John the Baptist even. Should I be looking for another one? <laughs> are you the one? And, you know, I mean, how do you respond to that? God the Father identified me to you, Jesus could have said. <laughs> what do you mean, are you looking for another one? God identified me to you. But Jesus is more gentle than that. But all through the book of the Gospel according to John, we have this contrast between people who are believing in Christ and people who are rejecting him outright. And you know, I find the same is true today. Even as we go through this next week, every one of us are going to be faced with decisions that frankly are based on what we believe. Either we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he lives in us, and that his way is perfect and right, and I can be content in that, or I can reject his way and reject him, and I can rebel against him, and I can live my life for me and try to take the reins of my life in my hand. And that is what we see in this passage. And frankly, it's very, very, and we'll see this morning in chapter 12, it's very, a very, very stark contrast. So there are these extreme reactions to Jesus, belief or unbelief. And interestingly, believing the Lord Jesus Christ leads to eternal life in heaven, but believing in Jesus Christ is so extreme, or unbelief in Jesus Christ is so extreme that it leads to eternal death in hell for all of eternity. Um, Look with me, if you would, at our text. John chapter 12, verse number 1. And I'm going to read down through verse 11. Now, remember what has just happened in verse 11. Can anybody tell me what had just happened in in chapter 11? The main event of chapter 11, what was it? Lazarus is raised from the dead. Not an everyday occurrence, right? And it's interesting because it actually comes out in chapter 12. It's almost as if John, the beloved of Christ, is still, as he's writing this down years and years later, It's almost like he comes to this particular part of what the Spirit of God has for him to write. And I I wonder if he kind of sat back and was like, that was was some week. That was was an incredible event. Look at what he writes in verse verse 1 of chapter 12. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, uh, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. It's kind of a double, like John can't get past it. You see that? where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, 
and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, the money bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, his resurrection, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Let's pray this morning, and then we'll look at this passage, these 11 verses in John chapter 12, and we'll see some of the different responses that we can have to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would ask you again as we go through this passage, how are you responding to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I ask, as we look at your word this morning. Father, thank you for your people who have gathered themselves together today. Lord, thank you for how you're working in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I do think of the Pierces today. I think of Betty. After all these years of, of marriage, of devotion, love, forgiveness, restoration, uh, time spent together. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage her heart with the truth of your word. I pray that her faith would grow, comfort her. Uh, By your spirit, I pray that you would lead her through the grieving process that will last for months, maybe even years. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your word and the hope that we have of a resurrection, that this life is not all there is. Now teach us, I pray, by your spirit, Uh, Help us, Lord, convict us by your spirit where we need it. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the incident now here in chapter 12 of John is also recorded in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke as well. And if you want to get uh, the broader picture of this event, there are more details given in those accounts of the Gospel. And it really is an amazing event that launches the week of Jesus' crucifixion. Now, I've tried to keep a timeline running as I've preached through the the book of John to you. Uh, For the past few weeks, I've been telling you we're within the last three months of his life on earth. Now we are in chapter 12, and we're within the last week of his earthly ministry. And so Jesus arrives on Saturday. He comes through this little tiny village of Bethpage, and then he comes into the city of Bethany, a small town, really, not very big. And Bethany was known, as, as chapter, verse 1 uh, uh, tells us, Bethany was known as the place where Lazarus lived. Um, and to this day, it's somewhat known for that reason. Uh, it was the place that, where Lazarus lived and the place where Jesus had raised him from the dead. And it's time for Jesus to come to the Passover. And why? Well, he would have been following what God had laid out for him, but not just so he could participate in the Passover, but so that he could be the Passover. Not just so that he, a lamb could be uh, uh, sacrificed to make a covering for sin for a period of time, to remind us of sin, but Jesus came to the Passover this time to be the Passover, to be the lamb, capital L, that would take away the sins of the world. Not just cover sin, 
but take it away. And I'm so thankful for that truth because every one of us in this room have sinned, but the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Bible says it taketh away the sins of the world. Now, that is a marvelous truth. And that is why someday when you and I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation because Jesus was judged for all of our sins once for all, and he, by his blood, has taken our sins away. We are forgiven. We are declared to be righteous. Every vile thought, every wicked deed, every failure in our lives, born in sin, this flesh defiled by sin, Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice, took away the sins of the world. And I praise him for it. So Christ uh, is the true Passover lamb that satisfies God before he is crucified and bears the sins of the world. Uh, he, he chooses Jesus, we see in chapter 12, he chooses to share his hours with his beloved friends in Bethany. I think this is interesting. I think it reveals to us the humanity of Jesus. They're tender moments. I think for the Lord, he knows what's coming this week for him. He knew these people, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved these people. He had spent time with Mary. He had spent time with Martha. He had spent time with Lazarus. They were close. Lazarus, they were close. And we know that from earlier accounts in the, uh, the gospel accounts, six days is all Jesus is away from the thorn. Six days away from the nail. Six days away from the spear being thrust into his side, six days away from the hatred, the sin-bearing, the loneliness of being God-forsaken. And here he is with his friends in John chapter 12. So six days ahead, but vivid in his mind, Jesus seeks the warmth and the love and the affection of some very dear and some very close friends. I want to look at this, the characters in, the, in chapter 12 this morning. I notice, first of all, the service of Martha. Number one, the service of Martha. Look at verse number two. It says, There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And you see it jumps out there in verse two that Martha served. It seemed like Martha was always serving. She was a doer. Okay? Some of us in this room are more contemplative, perhaps. We like to philosophize. We like to talk about things. Let's just sit and talk. What's for dinner? I don't know. We're just talking, having a good time. And others in this room can't even understand that idea. What do you mean you don't know what's for dinner and you're sitting around talking, doing nothing? Are you kidding? Get up, make a plan, you know, execute the plan, stop talking and fellowshipping and, and not getting any work done. Get your work done, right? Okay, there are, there are different kinds of personalities. Um, some of us are more contemplative. Others of us are more doer-oriented. And I think Martha was a doer. But you know what? I also know that she was a servant of the Lord. And the Bible tells that of, of, uh, to us about Martha. You remember on another occasion when Jesus was traveling, he came to Bethany earlier and he came to the village. And Martha welcomed him into her home. And you remember she had her sister Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to Jesus teach. And Martha was distracted. She wasn't really paying attention to the teachings of Jesus. She was busy serving. She was doing. In fact, leave your place in John 12 and look back with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10 for just a moment. I won't spend much time here. But in Luke chapter 10, look with me, if you would, at verse number 38. Luke 10 and verse 38. 
And I'll read down through verse 42. Luke 10, verse 38. I think it's important to remember this. It says, Now it came to pass as they went that they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. So she was very hospitable. She was entertaining. She was taking care of the guests. And verse 39 says, And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat, or to sit down near, she sat near Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about, much serving. She's very busy. She's a bit frantic. She's got a lot going on, uh, doing all the serving, and came to him, came to Jesus and said, Lord, curious, supreme authority, she knew who she was talking about, Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone, uh, left me to serve alone? Jesus, don't you care? Can you imagine this? My children do this sometimes to me. You know, so-and-so isn't helping pick up the Legos. You know, and it's funny because we have these two grown sisters. Martha comes to the creator of heaven and earth (laughs) and tells on her sister, Don't you care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, I like this, I don't know if I like it, it makes me laugh a little. Martha tells the Lord to tell her sister what to do. So apparently Martha or Mary was not following the leadership of her sister Martha, and so she literally goes to Jesus Christ and says, tell my sister to get doing what I want her to do. Um, Verse 41, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, Thou art careful. You're full of care. You're, you're full of care. That's what, she's, that's what he's saying to her. And troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. You can go back to John chapter 12. You know, Jesus was telling Martha that the truth that Mary was listening to was eternal. The truth that Mary was hearing that day as she sat at the feet of Jesus was eternal. One of the reasons, by the way, where, why we have uh, for in our different ministries that might play, take place during a morning service, and there are junior churches taking place, and there are nursery workers that are working and laboring, um, but we have people on a rotation because we want people to be able to have time to sit under the Word of God. And the meal and the stuff in the kitchen... Jesus was saying to Martha, has a short shelf life. So instruction, divine truth, worship is a priority. And Jesus said it this way, this one thing is needful above all the other things. And there are other needs, aren't there? There are other needs. Other things need to be done. But this one thing, the word of God, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is a priority. It ought to be a priority to us. Really based upon that experience, I think Martha is sort of degraded in our minds, and last week I tried to defend her a little bit, but I think we need to lift her back up because Martha served the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, service is actually commanded. It would be inappropriate for us to neglect the responsibilities that are God-given and consider ourselves to be more spiritual and and forsake and neglect the God-given responsibilities that we have. To serve is actually right. It is commended. In fact, the word serving uh, here is the same word that is used for deacon. 
in the Bible, diakonos. It says there in verse 2 that Martha served. She was a servant. We have ladies in our church who function within a committee, and we call them deaconesses. And they, they are great help to me as, as your pastor, serving the body of believers. You know, when Dave passed away yesterday and I talked to Betty, there will be a funeral dinner for that family. And who does that? Who takes care of that? There are men and women within this church who will come here early this week. Whenever day the funeral is decided, it will be on. They will get here early, sometimes before 8 a.m., and they will be here almost past 4 sometimes just to provide a meal for that family. And this happens most of the time we don't hear about this. I'm going to highlight it just for a little bit, but this happens every time there's a funeral like this. There are, they're serving, and what are they doing? They're loving that grieving family, taking something off of their plate so that they can just grieve and mourn and be with one another and not have to worry about hosting a meal for all the guests that will come. And I use that just as an illustration, but there are so many different ways that we can serve and love one another. Martha was a servant. You know, deacons are, as servants are important to the life of a church. And there are references all through the book of Acts about people who serve the Lord. In Romans chapter 16, Paul talks about the people who served, men and women who served him and encouraged him. So I don't want to belittle the service of Martha. I took you back to Luke so we'd, better, we'd all have, be on the same page and understand who we're talking about here. Maybe some of the struggles or the weaknesses that she had, being cumbered about, being full of care. Are, are you ever like that? Full of care. You got a, you just got a ton of responsibility. And, and, I'm, and I could look at you and you need to sit down and take time with the Lord. And you look back at me and say, tell me when. When am I supposed to do that? I barely have time to get anything done. I, I'm cumbered about. I'm full of care. I, I'm overwhelmed. Okay. Uh, you're not the first one to be there. Martha was there. but She was a servant of the Lord. So Jesus came to Bethany and they made him a supper here. That's the evening meal. That's the meal they would have been eating. It was a long meal. It was not a short meal. It wasn't a quick meal. They weren't getting out quickly to watch their favorite television show or something like that. It was the meal at which they would have reclined and they would have in some ways, been laying on their sides. It was not a table like you and I use today with chairs around it. The day was over. The work was over for most. And it was a time where the people would come together and they would relax. And they would converse with one another. They would talk. They would talk about the day. They would talk about the events. I imagine the conversations the week before the Passover would have been about maybe the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Uh, it would have been about the events, the excitement that was taking place in the city of Jerusalem. The, the table was a, a U-shaped table, and the people would recline around it. And so the people are reclining. It's a slow meal full of conversation, and, and they made Jesus a supper. And Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Now we know from another account in the Gospels that this was not... Martha's home. This was not Mary's home. It wasn't Lazarus' home. Because the other Gospels, and, and, and this of course is also recorded in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, they both tell us that this meal happened at the house of a man named Simon. In fact, they call Simon Simon the leper. So Simon the leper also lived in Bethany. And so this event takes place not at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but the house of Simon the leper. And just to let you know, he couldn't have been a leper at this time for this meal, or they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have allowed him in his house to be at the meal. He 
because lepers, you remember when they had leprosy, were put out of their community. They were forced out of their social occasions, and it was permanent. So how do you become an ex-leper in Jesus' day? Jesus healed him. That's how you become an an ex-leper in Jesus' day. So we've got an interesting meal here. We've got a formerly dead man and Lazarus sitting there, reclining. Please pass the... And you've also got, it's at the house of Simon the leper, a former man who was going to be dead, a former leper who is no longer a leper. I mean, this is quite a meal. And Jesus is here with his friends. And he's enjoying their company, and uh, they're enjoying his company. And Simon, I submit to you, was there because he had been healed by the Creator himself. And so you have these two very special people reclining at the table, one ex-leper and another who's an ex-dead man. And I imagine that would have made for some fascinating conversation. You know, how much had Lazarus seen while he was away for those four days? That'd be a good question. I want to ask him that. But this feast wasn't in honor of Lazarus, and it wasn't in honor of Simon. This feast on this particular day was in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Martha was serving. And this is a noble service. Somebody has to do this. It's a Christ-honoring, God-honoring service. In Matthew 23 and verse 11, the Bible says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Think about that. Because in our day, we want to climb the ladder of success. We want to have some respectability. And it's not just in our day. It's been throughout human history. Reputation. People to think highly of us. Jesus says, Jesus says, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So the Bible honors service. And she will always be remembered for her service. And and I think it's just how Martha was hardwired. She was a doer. Mary was more contemplative, sure. She was more reflective. She may have been even more spiritually minded. But Martha was a doer. And thank the Lord for doers. Thank the Lord for those who serve. Galatians 5 and verse 13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh to do your own will, but by love serve one another. And there's so many different ways to do that. So many different ways to do that. I don't know if she's here this morning or not. I wouldn't want to embarrass her. But uh, Mr. Pierce went into hospice, home hospice, I think late Wednesday or early Thursday. Uh, just a week ago, he was sitting in a chair, conversing, talking. He was slowing down. And... Um, When Mrs. Pierce, when he went into home hospice, I think it was Thursday night, I went over to stop by, and uh, Mrs. Hedrick was there to spend the night with Betty Pierce while her husband was there in home hospice. You know, these are the kind of things we don't ever hear about, we don't know about, things that I run into from time to time, just watching. I mean, would you have thought about doing that? And I'm I'm not asking that to be critical of you, but... You know, God, God has laid different burdens on your hearts. You have been, why would Mrs. Hedrick think to do that? Well, she's been there. She's lost her husband. So don't, don't use your liberty that you have in Christ to live for yourself, but serve one another. 
And that's, and that's what I say, that's what I see when, I, when I, I walked away from that house that night. Mrs. Hedrick doesn't sing in the choir. She may not be in different organized programs, but she's just serving her sister in Christ, loving her. And we can do this, by the way, in our homes. Because sometimes we think about, well, serving. Yes, I want to serve. So that has to be within the organized structure of the local church. And if I serve him there, but I can be selfish in my home. No, that's not a servant of the Lord. A servant of the Lord is someone who serves others, doing the will of God in the, life, in the lives of others. In our home, in our marriages, with our children, in the workplace, in the local church. It's no different. It's just who we are. It's who we ought to be. So Martha served because she loved her Lord and she loved the people that she served. And I'll, and I'll move on from this, but we're all called to serve. I think the nobility of service and serving is a noble thing is probably best expressed in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus said this, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself, speaking about Jesus, and make them his servants to sit down to meet, and he, Jesus, shall come forth and serve them. Think about that. Someday the Lord Jesus Christ is going to serve the servants, those who have served him. This is a noble thing. Being a servant is not a lesser thing. It is a high and noble calling. So just an amazing statement that when the Lord returns and he establishes his kingdom, he's going to put on the waiter's apron, he's going to serve us. And that's how elevated service is. What should be our spirit of service? In Acts 20 and verse 19, the Bible says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears. That's, that's a heartfelt service. I'm, don't serve the Lord to be recognized. Don't be a doer so people will say, wow. Don't do that. You have your reward. Don't do that. Serve the Lord in the privacy of your home. Serve the Lord when nobody else sees. Serve one another as unto him and he will be honored and glorified and pleased by your heartfelt service. And we see that in Martha's life. I also notice in verse number three, the sacrifice of Mary. The sacrifice of Mary. Secondly, the sacrifice of Mary. Look at verse number three. It says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. So I see the sacrifice of Mary. We're just looking at the different Bible characters here in chapter 12 and how they responded to Jesus. Well, Martha served him. Mary here, I notice, is making a sacrifice for Jesus. She's sacrificing for him. And it really is amazing. This is an amazing sacrifice. It's a humble sacrifice by Mary to Jesus. And it strikes me that this kind of detailed description is even here of what she did. It doesn't have anything to do with theology, and yet these details are laid out here to describe the nature of Mary's love for her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I asked you at the beginning, before we even read the passage, how are you responding to Jesus? Are you responding to him with rebellion and a selfish spirit, a self-willed, yeah, I know what I ought to do, but I'm just tired of doing it. I don't want to. Have you ever seen that in your children? You know, they're dragging their feet. You know, do I have to? 
And you know what? We see it in ourselves sometimes. Or are, are you responding to the Lord Jesus Christ with this abundant, overflowing love and thanksgiving and gratitude to him? Lord, thank you for loving me. Now, can I ask you a question? Why would Mary, this, this shouldn't surprise us. It's amazing, but it really shouldn't surprise us. Why was Mary's love so abundantly on display? Think about what just happened in the chapter before, some months before. What had happened? Jesus came back to Bethany at risk to his own life, and he walked up to a tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Mary's brother came out of the tomb. So this is not a surprise to us that here we find in chapter 12, a couple months later, that Mary is just overwhelmed and she's just pouring out her heart of love and sacrifice to her Lord and Savior, the one who had raised her brother from the dead. This is not a surprise. When we think about what Jesus has done for us, do we think of what he has done for us as an incredible miracle? that we didn't deserve an incredible act of love? Or do we think about what Jesus did for us as, as, well, he should have done it. And, you know, and I've done a lot for him, too. Now, I hope that, by the way, I said that, I hope that was a bit revolting to you. I hope you're uncomfortable with that tone. Because that is not the right response to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I see the sacrifice of Mary here. Her sacrifice is a great illustration of Christ's honoring love, how we ought to love him. It says in verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard. Nard was a very rare herb grown in the high pasture lands of Tibet, China, India. And it wouldn't find its way into a home in Bethany unless it had to be carried there by camels from India, okay? Yeah, there was no uh, Amazon Prime, okay? It took a while to get it there. It was very, very precious. It was very, very costly. It was very, very far away. And because it came so far, uh, it was very, very valuable. In fact, its value was known by the man who always thought about what stuff was worth. I hope you aren't like Judas in this way. Someone else in the church gets a car and you're like, on your phone, well, if they got a good deal, that was 18 grand. But if they weren't shopping around, and they probably weren't, they probably paid 23. I hope, I hope that's not you. Okay. But Judas thought, and he was consumed about the price of things. He named the price, actually, in verse number 5, 300 denarii. Uh, a, denari- a denarius was a day's wage. That means what Mary poured out and broke out over Jesus' head and it flowed down to his feet uh, was 300 days' work. How much, how much money did you make? Will you make this year? What will be your annual income? And I say that only to say this. That is what Mary gave that day to the Lord Jesus Christ. She poured it out, and it flowed down his body to his feet. She was everything to him. Or I should say this, he was everything to her. He loved, uh, she loved him with all of her heart. So this is an ex- essentially a year's work. It was very expensive. In Matthew 26, we read that it was a 
alabaster jar. Alabaster was a white translucent stone that would be carved out and it, it would contain the nard. Probably that's how it was shipped and delivered and kept. And since there was no embalming in those days to lower the impact of the stench of a decaying body, fragrant oils were often placed on those bodies. And so this is a very valuable thing to the family, and Mary uses it on the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 9 says this, We love him because he first loved us. Why, why, do, you, why do you gather with the body of Christ? Why do you gather with the body of Christ like you do? Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why do you, I mean, there are many who don't. Why do you? Why do I? Because we love him. We love him. This is his body. This is the visible, physical manifestation of his body. Christ living inside of individuals of this local church in this area. And so for me to love you is to, for me to love him. And for you to love me, even though I am far from perfect, is for you to love him. And we love one another. We love him. That's why we gather. That's why we reach out to one another. That's why we continue with one another over a period of years. It's not because we have everything in common. We have all the same, you know, we got Honda guys and Harley guys and Ford guys and GM guys. Mark, you going to buy that Ford? No. Going to be a GM. But you know what? We got all these different we got all these different personalities, people from all different walks of life, all different kinds of income. But we love one another. Why? Because Christ lives within us. And we're going through this life together. Mary's heart was overflowing with love and gratitude for her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden she rushes out of the room to find this spikenard wherever she had it hidden in her home or in this particular place. She must have brought it. A safe place. She bursts out in love. She can't restrain herself. According to Mark 14, she smashes the alabaster jar and opens it. She'd have had to break it open. Couldn't be resealed. Matthew and Mark tell us that it went on his head, and here we find in John that it went all the way down to his feet, and she, then she does something um, completely unusual. She loosens her hair, which was a radical thing for women to do in the presence of men, and she used her hair to wipe his feet. Now, foot washing at a meal was part of the meal, okay, because people had sandals and there was no pavement and dirty feet. Didn't suit people sitting down for prolonged dinners in a reclining position. Okay, it just wouldn't have been, wouldn't have smelled right. So this is an amazing expression of sacrifice, though, and of love. And it's not time, it's not the first time we've seen this on the behalf of Jesus. But Mary's actions were shocking. Jewish rules didn't allow for women to loosen their hair in the presence of men, but her heart was speaking. She was loving the Lord out of her heart. There was no restraint. She didn't hold back. It was extravagant. She was extravagant in her love for her Lord. You know, when you love someone, you, uh, you do extravagant things for them. You do things that you might not do otherwise. If it's just about me, there are going to be certain things that aren't a part of my life, aren't a part of my home. But they're Cindy. And so there are some things that are a part of my life because I love her. 
You know, I can remember when we were dating, and uh, I began to buy things for her that I had never bought before for anyone. I'm standing there in the jewelry store, and the guys are like, oh, look at this guy, you know. I bet, bet he loves his girl, you know. We love him. <laughs> and I'd come in, and I'd go back, and I'd go back, and I'd go back. Why? Because those weren't things that I wear. They weren't for me. They were the one I loved. It was the person I loved, the person I adored, the person I longed for. And there was an extravagance to the giving. You know, is there an extravagance in your giving? Is there, and, I don't, and I'm not just talking about finances, but in your giving of yourself to the body of believers, to the Lord, to the body of Christ. This is his body. Is there an extravagance to your giving? Are, 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 you, are you holding some back in reserve? Later on, Jesus is going to answer Judas when he says, this should have been given to the poor, which he really didn't care about anyway. And Jesus is going to say, you have the poor always, but me you don't. You only have this opportunity to give like this. And Mary has done the right thing. You know, that's true for you and for me, too, because our lives are limited. We only have an opportunity. There's a window of time in which we can serve him, at least in this way today. There will be opportunities to serve him for all of eternity. That is true. But this is an opportunity, this vapor of a life that passes away all too quickly. We have an opportunity to serve him, to give him, to love him extravagantly. And can I encourage you to do that? Do so biblically. Use biblical wisdom. Use Use, follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not asking you to go beyond what the Spirit of God would ever lead you to do, but as He leads you to do it, give generously. Give extravagantly of yourself, of who you are. It may have nothing to do with finances, but it's who you are. It's some experiences you've had in the past that I haven't had, and you see a brother or sister in Christ struggling, and you have been there. Give of yourself. As unto the Lord. Break it. Pour it out. And let the Judas of this world scoff at your sacrifice and your love. Why? Why didn't Judas get it? Because he didn't love Jesus. That's why he didn't get it. And so Mary's sacrifice and her love and her affection for Jesus was completely foolish to Judas. It made no sense. To those of us who have been loved by the Lord, loving him back makes every bit of sense sense in the world. It really was an amazing sacrifice, an amazing expression of love. You know, Mary's love, Mary's actions, though shocking, because the Jewish rules didn't allow for women to loosen their hair in the presence of men, certainly not to wash his feet. But her heart was speaking her love was humble and generous. She gave, every, she gave the most valuable possession she could lay her hands on. Can I ask you this? Was Jesus worthy of this gift? What do you think? What is, what is his value to you? What is his value to me? I think there must have been stunned silence amongst the group of people who who, frankly, they also loved Jesus. Simon, the leper, Lazarus, they loved him. I think there must have been a stunned silence. Maybe there were tears that were shed, I don't know. But the silence didn't last 
even as they were contemplating this humble sacrifice of Mary, they were interrupted by the self-interest of Judas. Look at verse number 4. And notice this response of one of these characters in the room of Judas. His self-interest. Look at verse 4. All he cares about is himself. In verse 4 it says, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, and Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence? That's a year's wage, basically, and given to the poor. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. So the interruption here is caused by a man identified by Jesus back in John chapter 6 and verse 70 as a devil. Okay. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? A slanderer, a false accuser. So Jesus already identified who G- Judas really was. And that's how, that's how Judas was identified. He was a greedy man. He was ambitious. He was worldly. He was self-interested. And these are the things that controlled his heart. He thought he could become wealthy, I think, by tagging along with Jesus. Remember, Jesus had been popular for a while. You remember Jesus' brothers saying, You need to get down there where things are happening and get things going again. You know, get the popularity rolling again for you. And Judas was all about those things. He had thought he could be elevated to some position of power and authority, and it began to become clear to Judas, I think pretty early on, that this thing wasn't going in his direction. It wasn't wasn't going in the direction he wanted it to go. Jesus wasn't going to be a political messiah And while those close to Jesus were growing to love Christ more, Judas was growing to hate him more. Why? Because Jesus wasn't doing for Judas what Judas wanted Jesus to do for him. Judas was was left with nothing but the basis necessities of life. And from day to day, it was mere survival, being a follower of Jesus. And the idea of a kingdom was becoming ridiculous to him. Everything was going the wrong way. But Judas is trying to keep up with the hypocrisy, so he says in verse 5, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And this is sad because in Matthew 26 and verse 8, the Bible tells us that the other disciples chimed in, and they basically said, Yeah, why wasn't that sold and the money given to the poor? It actually says that the disciples protested, and they were on the side of Judas. They all scoffed at Mary's love and sacrifice for her Savior. There, there, there could have been a better use for the money than that. It should have been used for. And by the way, let's not be that kind of an individual either. When God moves in an individual's heart to give and to love the Lord in a certain way, uh, for those of us who have not given and loved Him in that way, it's not our role to be their judge. But you know, it actually says the disciples protested. And I'll say this, Judas had a lot of influence amongst the disciples. And that's why he had the money bag, because everybody trusted Judas. It sounded so noble, but John tells us in verse number 6, notice this, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Apparently, when things began to go the direction he didn't think they should go, Judas began embezzling money. He wanted the money, and all the money he could get, he was ready now to get out, and whatever was going to be by the end of this thing for Jesus, he didn't want a part of it. So he would have much rather sold the spike nard for a year's wage and put it in his bag 
You see why? Because he would have benefited from it. And Jesus had said he was going to die. They were going to take his life. And, and Judas can see the hostility. He can see the animosity. He knows the end is coming. He knows he's not going to be able to be in the position to get the money that's in the bag very much longer. And he wants as much as he can get. And so the first words that he ever speaks are in verse 5 for Judas. Why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Sounds so spiritual. Those are the very first words in the scripture from the lips of Judas. Do you know his last words? What his last words were in Matthew 27 and verse 4? They were, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And that's Judas. For 300 denarii, he would rob Jesus of the gift of Mary's love. For a year's wage, Judas would rob Jesus of love and worship. And later he would sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 300 denarii is a year's wage. 30 pieces of silver is about four months' wage. He would just get whatever he could. The perfume was worth three times to him what he sold Jesus for. And so as Mary's perfume had filled the house with its fragrance, the poison of Judas' words contaminated the air. You know, Judas' life, I think, without question, is the greatest tragedy in all of human history. Because he was so close to the truth. He, he saw the miracles. He was there with the other disciples. He heard Jesus teach and preach. He looked Jesus in the eyes. He saw the Messiah for who he truly was. And being that close to Jesus, being that close to the truth, Judas, he rebelled against the truth. He rejected him. There's this contrast. We have this perfume of Mary's love and sacrifice, this, this outpouring of love and worship toward Jesus and belief in him. And it's contrasted with Judas' hatred for Jesus. You've led me here to nothing. I followed you because I thought you were a good teacher, and you know what? I thought things were going to work out for me as well. It'd be some perks and benefits for me, but you know what? It's not going to happen, and now he's willing to betray Jesus to death for just four months' worth of income. I think Judas is the apostate of all apostates. What's an apostate? Well, apostate is someone who knows the truth and walks away from it. And I think like Judas, there are many people who have been close to Christ, have known the truth, and have kissed him goodbye. Look how the Lord responds in verse number 7. Verse 7, Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. And our Lord connects what Mary did out of an expression of love to his burial. I love Mark 14 and verse 9. Our Lord adds something that John doesn't include. And Jesus said this, Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever the gospel, this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done, speaking of what Mary did, her worship and love for the Lord Jesus Christ shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And I guess we could ask the question honestly, how generous is our sacrificial love for our Savior? When Judas heard this in Mark 14, the Bible says, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. So when Jesus said to Judas, Let her alone, she has done this, symbolizing my coming death, Judas at that point knew it was over. Jesus was going to die. He, under, he understood. 
The other disciples, I think, were still struggling with it all. Judas knew it was over. Jesus was going to die. There wasn't going to be any fulfillment. Uh, there wasn't going to be any future. There, was, there wasn't going to be any more money. But Judas was in it for the money. All he had now to do was to fulfill the command that was given earlier, that if anybody knows where Jesus is, report it back in chapter 11 and verse 57. And he figured he could do that and make some cash for himself out of it. And so Judas leaves. Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. It's a beautiful statement. For the poor, ye all, uh, the, for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. What a beautiful statement. They did care for the poor. Jesus cared for the poor. And that's why Judas brought that up, and everybody chimed in and said, yeah, yeah, let's, we should give it to the poor. That's what we should have done with it. It, it. It's right to take care of the poor. It's right to care for them, but not now. Not now, Jesus says. Why? Because I'm here and you don't always have me. You don't always have this opportunity. I don't want to spiritualize this, but I want to say this. In life, there are priorities. There's temporal relief and there's eternal worship, and you and I ought to know the difference. We ought to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Judas stands, he's rebuked. In front of all the other men, he's crushed, he's devastated, and so he runs off to meet the leaders and he negotiates the betrayal of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He's bitter, he's greedy, he's murderous, he's betraying Jesus because he hates him, and against that is contrasted this lavish love that is permanently memorialized by Mary. Look at verse number 9, and I want to notice a group of people here, and we're going to conclude, but there's a few groups here. Verse number 9, you see these, the, there were people around, crowds that actually come. Look at verse 9. Much people, it says, of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. There were some people who were interested in Jesus because of what Jesus had done. And remember, this is not anything new. People, the crowds have been following Jesus. They'd they, they would get tired of his teaching, but they were impressed by him, what he could do. And so there's this superficial interest of the people. It was hollow, superficial. They were curious about Jesus. They were curious about Lazarus. In fact, on the next day, in verse 12, when Jesus enters into the city, they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. By, fr- by Friday, what are they saying? They're saying, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. And so you have these people here, and you've got Martha's service, you've got Mary's sacrifice, you've got Judah's selfishness, and you've got these people, and they're just kind of tagging along, interested in Jesus, but not believers in him. Look at verse number 10. You see the scheming leaders in verse 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Isn't that amazing? The chief priests hated Jesus so much, they actually were planning. They were getting together and making plans to kill not just Jesus, but any evidence that Jesus had ever been there. They were willing to kill the man that Jesus had raised from the dead. You remember the blind man who believed in Jesus? What did they do with him? They threw him out of the temple. They loved people, didn't they? Who did they love? They loved themselves. They loved their power. 
They love their political power. And Jesus was in the way of their political power. And here, it's not just throwing a guy to the temple. They're like, now we got a problem because Jesus raised some guy from the dead and he's walking around. We got, if, we kill him, if we kill him and he's dead again, I, I just, I mean, unbelief is so rank. It stinks. And it's not just something that the religious leaders of Jesus' day struggled with. It's something you and I struggle with, too. The truth is presented to us. We know the truth, and not just in the preaching of a sermon, but, but in, by, the, by Christ himself, his spirit living in us, he tells us the truth. This is the way, walking in it when you turn to the left and when you turn to the right. And every day as we go through this week, we have a, we have a decision to make. How are we going to respond to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are we going to be like Martha and serve him? Are we going to be like Mary and, and love him lavishly in abundance? Just pour out our love to him. Are we going to be like Judas, selfish? You know what? This is going the wrong way. You know, I was fine with following the Lord as long as my health was good. I was fine with following the Lord as long as it was easy. I was fine with following the Lord as long as there were going to be great things that took place. I can remember when the Lord led me into evangelism, and I was traveling around, and Cindy and we traveled around the country and preach. I would preach in different churches. I remember when I surrendered to go into the ministry of evangelism. I don't know what I expected exactly, but I kind of had the expectation that I would go, I would surrender to the Lord, and I would preach his word. And you know what? People are just going to respond. You know? It was just going to be incredible. You know, I mean, who knows what, what might be. And there came a point, and in, 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 in the Lord blessed, frankly, he blessed in abundance. Phenomenally, he blessed. But there was a point where I had to come to a conclusion on why I was doing what I was doing. When it wasn't working out exactly how I had imagined. And that's not just true for me in evangelism. How about you in your walk with the Lord? You say, you know, Pastor Seth, I still struggle with things that I thought, I didn't think I'd struggle with anymore. Are you going to continue to follow him and love him even though you're still growing and still stumbling along the way? Are you going to keep trusting him and believing in him? Sickness, disease, heartache is coming to your home. Your children, I don't know. Your income, you say, you know, I, when I surrendered to serve the Lord, I knew God, he is God and he will bless those who follow him. But Pastor Seth, I'm not sure I'm seeing his blessings in my life. Are you, are you holding back? Are you going to make decisions like Judas did? You know what? If the Lord's not going to make me happy in this life right now, you know what? I'm going to go out and get whatever I can of happiness in this life. You know what? Eternity's coming. That's true. Yeah, there's accountability. That's true. But you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do what I want to do in this life. Just get a little bit of happiness, a little bit for me. That was Judas. In verse 11, it says, Because that by reason of him, that was Lazarus being raised from the dead, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So there's, there's, there, there's another group of people that were being saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Mary and Judas personify how people respond to Jesus, I think. Mary's faith grew, blossomed, because she had an easy life right? As she sat in her home, brokenhearted, because Jesus had not come. 
and had not done what she thought he, what she knew he could do. But he didn't do it. That was easy, wasn't it? No, it wasn't easy. Lord, if you'd come. But in Mary, I see a faith that grows and blossoms even through hardship. Her love for Jesus overflowed. In contrast, Judas rejected everything Jesus taught, ultimately. All that Jesus stood for, ultimately, Judas rejected. And even Judas rejected who Jesus was. What? For what? For his own personal gain. Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas betrayed the truth for a short-term guarantee. In Judas' mind, just four months. Just a four-month guarantee of income. Let's not be like Judas. Betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of our soul, the one who has secured heaven for us and forgiven us of all sins, past, present, and future. Let us not betray Jesus, like Judas did, for a little bit of happiness, a little bit of prosperity in this life. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. No one looking around. How many of you would say with a lifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, I know that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin. Uh, He is my Savior. I love him for it. Heaven is my home. If that's you, would you raise your hand in this room that I could see it? Any, many hands. Thank you. May put them down. Is there anyone in this room and you could not raise your hand? You'd say, Pastor Seth, would you pray for me? I have never put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me from my sin. Pastor Seth, I want to trust Jesus Christ to save my soul and forgive me of my sin. I need him. I need him. I need him to save me. If that's you in this room with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if anyone here would say, Seth, would you pray for me? I want to be saved today. Anyone like that at all? Would you raise your hand that I could see it? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I pray for believers now. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our struggle. Lord, in so many ways, we disdain Judas. We despise him for what he did to our Savior. But, Lord, I find even in my own life, there are moments where I'm tempted to turn away from the truth that I know for a a bit of pleasure or maybe what I might think is an easier path or a a sure guarantee. And really, with Judas, Lord, he goes out and hangs himself, but there's no repentance. There was no guarantee. There was no satisfaction. And we know that true joy and true satisfaction are only found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you'd convict our hearts, as I think you have. May we walk from this place this morning, seeing this stark contrast between lavish love of Mary, worship, a thankful heart, and the selfish, unthankful heart of Judas. Lord, help us to love you more, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.